welcome to the Houston Innovators Podcast. I'm Natalie Harms, editor of Innovation Map. My guest for today is Nick Skitland, chief technologist at NASA Johnson Space Center. Nick joins the show today to talk about space innovation, which we originally discussed last week on the show with Tim Crane of Intuitive Machines. In today's conversation, we're diving deeper into the evolution the space industry has had from NASA's perspective, as well as the future of space exploration, development, and travel. Nick also weighs in on the important role Houston, including its innovators and entrepreneurs, will have on the future of space. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, it's it's great to have two back-to-back episodes on space. As our listeners know, we had Tim Crane from Intuitive Machines on last week. And this week, we have you representing NASA, and I'm excited to talk more space. It's I can't talk enough space. So before we really dive into some of the topics, I want to hear a little bit about your background. You've been at NASA for decades now. So I won- I'm wondering if it's safe to say that you always wanted to work in aerospace. When and why did you get that space bug? Yeah, so I grew up actually not in Texas. I grew up in North Dakota, pretty much as far from Texas as you can get, almost all the way to, to the Canadian border. And so what got me interested in, in space exploration and in, in the industry was when I was a student, a young student in elementary school, I was watching um, the space shuttle launches on TV. And I remember the Challenger accident very um, succinctly. And it was actually a moment of inspiration for me. I decided I wanted to be part of humans' exploration of the universe. And from there, you know, I worked through my uh, education and ended up going into engineering and ultimately ended up at NASA, but Johnson Space Center, because Johnson Space Center is where we do human spaceflight. It's the home of human spaceflight. The hub for human spaceflight in Houston, Texas is where all the action was. So I wanted to be part of that action and came to Houston. Well, over the years, you've had a lot of different roles within NASA. So tell me a little bit about some of the the positions you've had, the through line of your career with NASA. Yeah, so the theme of my career is curiosity. So I'm definitely a curious person and I'm constantly trying to um, explore. And that includes exploration in just a number of disciplines. So I started in engineering, mechanical engineering and ended up working at NASA in crew training. I was helping astronauts prepare for spacewalks just at the beginning of the International Space Station program when we were first building it and putting it together. And so I worked in the world's largest pool, the 6.2 million gallon neutral buoyancy laboratory here in Houston where we do that sort of training and did that for a couple of years. And I actually took a, a, a brief stint and went and got my master's degree at the International Space University in Strasbourg, France my first master's, and then came back. And after I came back, I actually moved into research, human spaceflight research, working on human um, physiology, trying to understand how astronauts could sustain life on the moon and Mars from a physiology, human physiology standpoint. And we, this is the time when a lot of the physiology work was being done in labs, but we were looking at more of like, how could we use computers and computational modeling to understand humans um, and and surviving in different gravitational environments. You know, Earth has a specific gravitation and other planets different. And obviously in low Earth orbit, there is very little gravitation. And so what does that do to the human body? Um, Spent some time after that working at NASA headquarters on policy and specifically thinking about how NASA can invite more people into the adventure of exploration. So I led and started and led the Open Innovation Program 
at NASA kind of ushered in um, things like the International Space Apps Challenge, which is one of the, which is the largest hackathon in the world. Actually, just took place a couple of weeks ago, where we invited um, hundreds of thousands, or about fifty thousand people uh, from around the world and you know three hundred countries to participate in what we're doing. Also, led a lot of our open data initiatives, and then did some some work in in strategy, thinking about how we can attract and retain top talent in our industry. And then uh, then came back to Johnson Space Center to where I'm at now. And I'm currently the chief technologist at Johnson Space Center and also lead as a director, a new office. So we've set up a JSC to make it easier to work with us. It's called the Business Development and Technology Integration Office. And so we are the ones that are responsible for overseeing the technology portfolio, all the early stage technology, as well as the partnerships that we do with industry. So we uh, formulate and um, put in place all those agreements with companies like, uh, you know, Intuitive Machines and what Tim Crane was doing and talking about just the other week. I think it's so interesting, this career you've had and, and how it's touched on a lot of the important pillars within NASA and now moving forward. So I, before we dive a little bit deeper into some of the things you mentioned, how have you observed um, kind of the evolution of space exploration and innovation in your time within the industry? What What's going on and where are we today? Yeah, it's a really great question. So NASA obviously has been doing what we've been doing for uh, over 60 years. And so there's a lot of heritage and legacy, a lot of success to build on, especially here in Houston, Texas, where we've been doing human spaceflight since the earliest days. And um, that hasn't changed. That continues to be the, the, the same. Uh, what has changed um, in the past decade or so is that spaceflight is no longer um, just a government focus. We have an entire th space industry that's growing and really starting to thrive here in the U.S. And that's an important part of our strategy going forward. Uh, so, so it actually allows NASA to do even more of its core mandate, which is to explore the unknown, to explore the frontiers. And um, we can come alongside our industry partners who are able to offer uh, NASA a service that once was something that NASA had done. So, for example, uh, we have, you know, for example, we have commercial providers of um, trips to low Earth orbit to space stations. SpaceX, as, as an example, is through their launch services, we're able to fly crew and cargo to the International Space Station. And that, that offers us the opportunity to um, think about what comes next. And we're excited about a lot of the industry that we're already partnering with. So at JSC, we have a number of programs. One of those programs is the International Space Station I just mentioned, but we have other programs too, like commercial LEO destinations. We have multiple um, industry partners who are building uh, destinations in low Earth orbit, other space stations that... Um, not only will NASA utilize in the future, but so maybe would would you. I mean, maybe you could fly to space and be not only a space tourist, but maybe you could do your own research and science. Maybe you could be starting a company. Maybe you're an entrepreneur and you, you want to manufacture something in space. There's opportunity for you to do that on these new platforms. Um, and then we also have really interesting programs that are thinking about what it might look like for humans to live and work on the surface of the moon. I'll mention the commercial lunar payload system um, CLIPS program, which it's 
you know, you might think of your favorite delivery service, logistics company on planet Earth. You know, you pull up your phone, you you want to order a pair of new sunglasses and they show up on your doorstep 24 hours later. It's pretty incredible technology. What would it look like for industry to provide a similar service to send uh, payloads to the moon? And so there's a number of vendors. Intuitive Machines, again, is one of those uh, that are sending packages to the moon. And so NASA, it just really opens up a future that's very different. So the next 60 years of human spaceflight are even more exciting, in my opinion, than the last 60 years, because we're at this pivot point where um, the, the total space economy, if you, by some measures, is about $450 billion. NASA's overall budget, $25 billion. We're talking, you know, small percentage of the overall industry. And so that'll, that, that's a really, really exciting time to be alive, especially if you're a small business or an entrepreneur. Wow. I think um, it's, it's hard to imagine 60 years in the future, but I guess that's like something you have to do every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I, whenever I'm given a talk about the future of human space play, I like to point out how myopic we can be as humans. Like how hard is it? To think about the future, and here's 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 a way to here's a way to put it. Have you ever been in a job interview where someone said, "Hey, Natalie, where do you see yourself in five years?" And you're like, "Well, I'm interviewing for this job, so I kind of hope I still have this job. You know, I hope I'm living in the same house in the same city, driving a similar car, maybe a little bit better car." We're we're humans are creatures of comfort, comfort and habit, right? So we often think about the future by simply extrapolating our current situation into the future. But if you flip the question around and you said, hey, Natalie, has anything changed in the last five years? Did anything happen? You'd be like, wow, let me tell you of all the things that I could not have predicted. These black swan events that completely turned my world and the world in general upside down. And it's really hard for humans to predict the future five years in the future, let alone 60, right? So where will we be, where will we be in 20, 40, 60 years? But entrepreneurs, they have a, an ability to at least not get frozen in comfort. They're willing to take a step forward and to, even when things are unknown and uncertain, try to build the future, try to, try to usher in the future. And so we're in, a, we're in that business and so are our partners in the industry, but so are entrepreneurs and small businesses. And so together is, I think, how we forge an unknown future in the future of human space life. Yeah, that's such a great point and probably really resonates with a lot of founders and entrepreneurs who are, who are listening, thinking they have to envision a new future where their technology is, you know, changing their industries, uh, their respective industries. So how do you work with entrepreneurs? You mentioned a little bit through these programs and the example of intuitive machines, but what other opportunities are there for potential founders and, and entrepreneurs to work with NASA and NASA technology? Yeah, so there's a number of different opportunities to work directly with NASA. If you're a small business, of course, we have our SBIR and STTR program where we award funding for um, proposals that are directly related to our needs. And most of the time, those are technological needs that are related to one of our missions. Um, but that's not the only way. That's that's one of the first entrance points, but it's not the only way. We also... Um, offer a number of other solicitations that are related more to our science and technology mission directorate, like Tipping Point, for example, is a way that larger existing companies like the Blues and SpaceX's and Machines of the World often will work with us on new ideas. 
We have NIAC, uh, of course, which is if you have a, a really big idea like a space elevator, you know, an elevator to space to lower the cost of launching things. It's, it's an idea that was invented, you know, 100 years ago, but we still haven't really realized it. There's, there's a place for that, too, where you can pitch your proposal and be funded through multiple phases to mature that proposal and hopefully turn that into a technology that can be utilized by NASA and others. We also um, have a number of ways that we work with entrepreneurs. So at Johnson Space Center, my one of my responsibilities in addition to the partnerships is to really understand our early stage investments, the technology priorities that that are most important for human spaceflight and advancing that mission. So everything from advanced docking systems and entry, descent, and landing systems, uh, life support systems, but also things like digital technology and how we use uh, the materials that we would find on the moon, in situ resource utilization is the fancy word for it, ISRU. How do we turn lunar regolith into water, into oxygen, into uh, shielding from radiation. So all of those things that are in our technology portfolio are opportunities for us to work with entrepreneurs on um, developing new ideas. I'll give an example. There is a, there's a company in Austin um, that does 3D printing of habitats. They do this on Earth and building are building new neighborhoods on Earth in Austin, actually. Um, they've partnered with NASA. They actually responded to one of our, our challenge competitions with an idea around architecture. And we've had them at Johnson Space Center build um, an analog facility uh, that looks like Mars. And we have a crew in that analog facility right now that's planning to live there for a year so that we can understand long-term spaceflight. That same company might one day build habitats on the moon. And so we're constantly looking for innovators and entrepreneurs with big ideas, especially when it comes to thinking about our technology needs and our mission goals as we advance human space exploration and try to extend human presence, not just to low Earth orbit or to the lunar surface, but to Mars and beyond across the solar system. But I say all that to say, oftentimes people are like, Nick, how can I work with NASA? What's really exciting about a $450 billion industry that's gonna to grow to a trillion dollars in less than 10 years is you don't even just have to work with NASA you yourself could ha have an idea that maybe is even independent of NASA. Uh, for example, um, what if you started a company that built spacesuits and those spacesuits could be used by commercial companies that are flying private astronaut missions? That's an opportunity. Um, NASA is working with two companies right now, uh, Axiom and Collins, on building spacesuits where we used to build the spacesuits. Industry is now building them. In the future, you know, maybe NASA is just... Um, one of many customers using spacesuits just like other people might as well. So our hope, our vision, our desire is that there's a thriving space economy that is not dependent on NASA, that we are one of many players. And there, in, in a world like that, there's a lot of opportunity for entrepreneurs. And I'll say one more thing. In 2040, think about 2040. What's different about the world in 2040? You know, well, if, you, if we do our job well at NASA through the Artemis program and through all the investments we're making as a nation, hopefully we have extended human presence in a sustainable way living on the moon. Hopefully we have a lunar colony where, where humans are living sustainably like they are today in low Earth orbit. We've been living in low Earth orbit continuously since two, 2000, 23 years. What if that's the case on the moon? What does that mean? 
it could mean the first human is born on another surface that's never even visited Earth. That's a very, that's really interesting to think about. And that could happen pretty quickly. And so how do you, how, like what services could be provided in a, in a world or in, in a universe where we're not just a species that lives on one planet, but we've extended our presence across the solar system. It's just so crazy to think about the future. And you've mentioned a lot of different technologies and, and their you know importance in the, the space exploration and travel landscape. What other big technologies and big, I guess, challenges that, you know, need to be tackled to achieve that, that vision of, of people living on the moon in 2040? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I'll say not, maybe not just living on the moon. Maybe we've stepped on Mars by 2042, hopefully. Maybe we've even really figured out this human spaceflight thing. We have radiation protection that works and we are, we are, we figured out long-term space travel. We can cross these vast distances. And we're exploring other parts of the, of the universe. So let's just, let's just go ahead and like assume, let's be bullish about this a little bit and assume we are, we are all in on human space flight. And so, you know, first of all, we, so, so some of the challenges, first of all, we, we need to address the ability to live in space, space sustainably. Radiation is a big one. So if you're a scientist or a researcher and you are interested in understanding human physiology and thinking about how humans can live in space, that's a huge field with a lot of uh, risks that we need to mitigate and buy down so that we can do that better. Um, we can live in space right now, but it, it can be a risky proposition. It's a very hazardous environment. So we want to make that, that easier for people. Uh, number two is, you know, if we have these rockets and these space transportation vehicles, there's a lot of places that we can go that are beyond the moon and Mars. I mean, we can go to asteroids. We just launched a, a mission to an uh, all like a to a metal asteroid, um, there's a lot of mining opportunity. There's there's resource opportunities and asteroids, and there's near Earth objects we could explore. There's other places, other uh, other moons of Saturn, for example, uh, like Titan is a good example. That's 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 one way we could go. Another another area of opportunity and of challenge is the cost of launching mass to space. You know, um, if it costs $10,000 for a dirt just to get to LEO, you know, we, A, we want to make that cheaper, whether it's through rockets or space elevators, but we also want to consider how we could utilize resources in other places without having to take them with us. Again, I mentioned ISRU. How could we mine uh, the lunar regolith, for example, in a way that creates oxygen and hydrogen and the resources we need to sustain ourselves there rather than launching all that stuff from Earth? That's a big challenge. With all these rockets going to space, who's going to be the FAA for space? Who's going to manage all this space traffic? That's a big deal, right? We, that's kind of an area that is becoming more important as more commercial companies and government, governments around the world are participating in exploration. Um, and then finally, I'll mention, and this is an interesting challenge, is um, space debris. So we have a lot of a lot of satellites that we're launching in space right now in, that are orbiting Earth. And so the likelihood of accidental collisions increases and the more debris that's up there, the more collisions that, ha that happen, that can become a self-perpetuating problem. And so as you're flying humans up there, that becomes a bigger risk. And so trying to figure out how to handle the, the junk in orbit, the debris in or orbit, either uh, clean it up um, or to 
um, get rid of it is, is, a, is a big issue. And so there's a lot of, a lot of challenges. Um, I also am pretty bullish on technology. I mean, I'm the chief technologist at Java Space Center. You would expect me to say that, right? But I really am. And I think artificial intelligence is a really big opportunity that is going to disrupt industries around the world. And I know it's a lot of hype right now, but I really do, like, I really think that this can have implications for all parts of space exploration as well. And then I'll finally mention quantum. So quantum computers have the potential to perform, obviously, complex simulations faster than ever, definitely faster than classical com computers. And so we, NASA, in the space industry, can use that capability for optimizing spacecraft and, you know, solving complex mathematical models and and figuring out it, it applies even to communications so like providing secure reliable communication which is crucial for space missions um, especially in an increasingly divisive world quantum communication is a big deal um, long distance experiments quantum entanglement the whole the whole phenomenon of how particles are correlated in ways that defy classical physics it's really interesting to think about how you actually apply that and see what we're doing. And so there's technology, you know, we talk about tipping point of human spaceflight, the last 60 years versus the next 60 years. I think it's the same thing with technology. Technology is just this, there's this fire and we're just throwing fuel on that fire. And it's an exciting time to be alive. It's an exciting time to be a human involved in human space exploration. Absolutely. I think that is something you can really see when you, you know, look back on the rapid innovation and then adoption of technology just, you know, in our lifetimes is absolutely insane how quickly things come to fruition from just being an idea. And I think what's always strikes me as absolutely insane about the space industry is just from your response there, you tackled everything from, you know, the health sector, you know, talking about radiation and how can humans actually live up there. You talked about you know, the travel challenges. So it really touches so many different industries within one industry, which is just a, a huge undertaking in itself. So I wonder when you think of this and when you think of how people are seeing this evolution in space and seeing more activity and momentum around space, what are the biggest misconceptions you encounter? And, and how do you clear things up for people who you know don't even have maybe one foot in the door in the space world, but are observing this evolution from the outskirts? Yeah, great question. I'll, I'll, I think two things come to mind. The first is just imposter syndrome. I mean, I felt that growing up um, outside of Houston, especially if you um, aren't connected to the space industry in an obvious way, it can feel daunting to want to figure out how to participate in space exploration. But I tell you, we need more talent and more minds than ever before for all the reasons we've already talked about and so I really try to encourage people to if they have an interest to really explore it there's a lot of different ways to participate in space exploration and that you know a lot more today than there was even when I was growing up and there's room and not only room but there's a necessity for us to have brilliant scientists and engineers and entrepreneurs and designers and translators there's it's not just engineering it's not just science and we need we need all types of people to participate and so i really encourage you to check it out one way by the way i, I meant to mention earlier um but we have a website uh called nasa.gov solve where we post all of our um ways that you can contribute with us contribute to nasa even even as an individual you don't have to be a company we post a lot of our challenges there 
um, challenges that are related to the technology we want to develop to just ideas that we are trying to um, gather around the future of exploration. So that's one easy way for anybody, no matter what your background is or what your age is, what your expertise is, you can participate in what we're doing. Um, I think the second thing is that people maybe don't recognize <laughs> how exciting space exploration is right now. We often associate, especially in a place like Houston, Texas, that has a lot of successes, we associate space exploration with the accomplishments of the past, and we aren't really maybe aware of what's happening. And I would actually argue our biggest challenge for the future of space exploration is actually the past, right? It's, it's our unwillingness to move beyond the comforts humans love and know and, and think about things beyond our, our current world. And so the past is, there's a lot we can learn from it, but we have to be willing to continue to take a step forward. And so um, there's a lot of opportunity for, for, for people to do that at NASA, but not just NASA now. There's the entire space industry that's thinking about this. Well, those are all really great observations and then a good opportunity for people to, to learn more online. Um, and I think that it really resonates because if you talk about NASA in Houston, you might be talking about just like visiting uh, you know, the space, space center Houston and just like learning like from a, a museum encounter when there's just so much more happening in Houston. So that's a great reminder. And another way uh, people can get involved is the NASA Tech Talks. And this is a series that you're doing. So tell us about that and who should go and who should attend these you know, events, but specifically the one later this month or tomorrow, I should say. Yeah. So we have um, an amazing asset in Houston, which is the ION in downtown Houston. And so we've partnered with the ION. And we've been holding a series of what we call Tech Talks where you can hear from experts and leaders, not only at NASA, but in this industry. The next tech talk will be with Intuitive Machines, with Tim Crane. We'll be talking about the exciting work that they are doing, some of which I've talked about, some of which he talked about in his podcast just recently. Uh, that is, I kind of look at the ION as a crossroads for Houston, almost like a town square. Um, it's open to anybody. Everybody can come. I've, I've given a tech talk before there. And I'll say my favorite questions are, are the ones that come from students, you know, because oftentimes students are uninhibited with their imagination and what could be. And so they just ask honest questions and they lead to really great conversations. And so I encourage you, no matter who you are, if you have any interest or curiosity about what's happening in space exploration to attend the Tech Talk. We also partner with the ION quite a bit to uh, allow people to participate in what we're doing through hackathons. I mentioned the International Space Apps Challenge, which happens every October. We also offer a number of other hackathons at the ION. And also the ION is just a great place for collisions. There is a Cup of Joey networking event. I'll give a shout out to that. We do that both downtown and also down by the Space Center. Um, downtown, I think, happens every Friday morning. And that's a good opportunity just to network, not only with people in the space industry, but people across the ecosystem in Houston and what an amazing city Houston is, right? We have, we have, we have a number of industries and it's really, I think, the combination of those industries that makes Houston unique and great. And so come participate. And, and the, the way to do that is at the ION. Such a great reminder and a huge opportunity to attend those tech talks for a couple of reasons, of course, to learn more about what NASA is doing and its partners are doing 
but also to check out the ION if you haven't done it already. That's I always like to remind people an event is a great way to, to get a foot in the door there. I wonder just to wrap up, because we've talked a lot about what the future looks like for the space industry and because Houston is such a big part of that in past and present and future, what do you see Houston, Houston of the future, if we want to say 2040 or, or some other what feels distant future, what's Houston look like? Uh, what's Houston's role in the, in the space industry in the future? Yeah, we've thought a lot about this too. And it's a really good question. And, and I, I think I speak on behalf of all the folks at Johnson Space Center and especially our leadership team. Um, our vision for Houston is to continue to be Space City, to be a hub for human spaceflight in the future, for the activity in human spaceflight to be somehow associated with what we're doing from Houston. So that the first words from when we return to the moon or we're on to Mars is, is again, Houston, like it was 60 years ago. And we talk commonly or regularly in Houston or at Johnson Space Center about how giant leaps start here. And I think it's true about Houston, giant leaps start here. We are a really amazing city full of talented people, a lot of resources, and definitely a lot of vision for the future. Awesome. Well, that's a, a fantastic way to wrap up. So thank you so much for your time, Nick. It was extremely enlightening. And I feel like I'm going to look at the future very differently, and especially at the space industry as a whole. So I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I will just say one final thing. If you want to learn more about Johnson Space Center, we actually just set up a brand new website, our front door for the center, our digital front door at least, which is nasa.gov slash Johnson slash front door. And it's a really great place to learn about how to engage with us. You can learn about our capabilities and services, our technology, how to partner with us, our prizes and challenges, all the things that I mentioned today. Well, I love that. I noticed when that switch was flipped as someone who regularly browses for news stories, it looks amazing. So that's a great plug. Everyone should definitely check out the website. It's really interesting how everything's laid out and you can really learn a lot just by clicking around. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks to everyone else who helped support making this podcast because I know they're not easy and they require a lot of work. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Houston Innovators Podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss next week's edition and check out innovationmap.com for the latest Houston startup and innovation news. Mm-hmm.